right, well, when you get to John 15, again, we're in verses 1 through 17, go ahead and say, you are the center of it all. Okay. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone is, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, we're glad that you're here. And today we are finishing up our series um, entitled Canoeing the Mountains. And really the thrust of this whole series is um, learning to be able to faithfully and flexibly follow Jesus. When everything in the culture is changing and the unexpected happens, how do we learn um, to adjust? And this comes from a book by the guy by the name of Todd Bolsinger, and it's called Canoeing the Mountains. And he uses uh, the story of Lewis and Clark. When Lewis and Clark were waterway experts, they were the great explorers through the uh, Louisiana Purchase. And they had prepared for this moment where all maps and everybody said that there was this waterway passage that would connect both oceans together and that it would basically be like owning the internet today for trade and for commerce. And so they get to this moment where there's supposed to be this waterway where they were prepared for, planned for, they were waterway experts. And they climb the mountain and look over and there is no waterway. There is the Rocky Mountains. They were not prepared for the Rocky Mountains. So at that moment, they had to drop their canoes, what they were prepared for, and they had to readjust. And that's a lot like following Jesus, that we encounter so many things in our lives that we thought that we were prepared for, but we have to learn to adjust. And, and, and just to catch you up sort of where we've gone in this journey, you can go to our website, you can catch up on back sermons, but, but this is what we've learned through the series. The first week we learned that when everything is changing around us, the call of Jesus remains the same. Follow me. So, so in this season, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, whatever has happened in this season, 
when everything is changing, the one thing remains the same, that we are to follow Jesus. Then the second week we learned this. It's the love of Jesus that leads me to follow Jesus. That, that love has to be the motivator. We, you're not going to get very far with sort of just grinning your teeth and then tightening your shoes a little tighter and just tucking the shoulder and I'm just going to barrel through this thing. It doesn't work like that when it comes to following Jesus. That love has to be the motivator. The third week we learned this. Um, following Jesus requires faith. And we were like, oh, wow, that's rocket science there, big preacher. You get paid to do this, right? Well, well, well listen, it's a little bit more um, in depth when we think about that. Because faith um, means stepping out in obedience without knowing what the outcome is. That, that's what faith is. And a lot of times we think faith is having it all figured out, planned out, and then just stepping out. But when Jesus calls us to get out of the boat, that's what faith is. And then we learn this crucial aspect. Who you follow Jesus with determines how far you follow Jesus. That, that Jesus does not call anybody to follow him alone. That, that we are a community of people. And then we said that along the way, it's, it's certain that we'll encounter conflict. I mean, if you live life with, with anybody, you're going to encounter conflict. And then we learned this crucial aspect that resolving conflict is the responsibility of every Christian. That in order to continue in this journey of following Jesus, that we have to learn how to do that. Um, when we come to sort of the end of the series today, and, and when we think about uh, Lewis and Clark and the Great Expedition, by far the saddest and most tragic aspect to this entire story is the end of Meriwether Lewis's life. So when they come back from the Louisiana Purchase, they are celebrities. Um, I mean, as much as a celebrity as you could be in like the 1800s, okay, right? So they come back and uh, they're extremely famous. They're publishing their journals. They're going around speaking. Thomas Jefferson, who was the president at the time, um, has them to the White House all the time. And then Thomas Jefferson um, appoints Meriwether Lewis as sort of governor over what is now Louisiana at the time. But one thing became very clear with Meriwether Lewis when he came back from the expedition. People knew that something was off, that he became very withdrawn, very agitated, gave himself over to alcohol. He became extremely depressed. And one historian writes this, he came back and could not simply readjust. On the mission, it was how do we stay alive? And how do we collect this information? How do we complete the task? Then suddenly, you're, you're famous and you're heroes. There's a certain amount of stress to re-entering the world. It was like coming back from the moon. At the end of Meriwether Lewis's life, he was a horrible drunk, terribly depressed. He could never finish his journals to be published. And then... On October 11th, 1809, he was staying in a cabin on his way to the White House to give a great speech and to be awarded a great award. And later in that evening, Meriwether Lewis took his own life. And there's the monument in the grave there in the cabin where he was. 
Everybody was shocked. Thomas Jefferson was blown away as to why somebody who literally had just conquered the known world would take his own life. And every historian agrees this is probably the case. Meriwether Lewis learned to live for the extraordinary, but he didn't learn to live in the ordinary day-to-day. This is actually um, very um, prominent when you look at Olympic athletes. Olympic athletes, um, after they win gold medals, oftentimes sink into deep depressions. Um, Why? Because the purpose and the mission that you're preparing for is this high mountaintop experience. And then when that is done, you almost wonder what the purpose of even living is for. Now you say, Jason, what in the world does this have to do with finishing up this series or anything? Well, well, follow me. I think a lot of us and and the church as a whole has, has done a great disservice to people. And here's what I mean. There's a great emphasis of um, you got to get to heaven. You got to get saved. You got to get to heaven. And, and by the way, um, that's real important, okay? So um, if you're not a Christian in here, um, we, we want you to be a Christian, okay? We want you to spend eternity with the God that created you. And then we also think that, that the Bible and, and following Jesus is for these extraordinary moments. So whether it's suffering or crisis or, 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 or even positive things, it's extraordinary things. But when I have conversations with people and we talk about marriage, and we talk about the job, and we talk about the day-to-day, we don't know how to live for the ordinary. And so when Monday rolls around or Thursday and the job and then the kids are sick and then this and then we can't make and then we do that, we feel like, what's what's the purpose? What, What am I doing? And then we sort of heap this shame and guilt on ourselves and then we sort of just give up on the mission. You see, in in John chapter 15, Jesus is is teaching something crucial to his disciples. And he's saying this, this is the last night that he has with his disciples. He's just washed their feet, done some extraordinary things, but he teaches them what I believe is one of the key concepts in the Christian life. And and listen, if you're not a Christian, this is a great concept for you to narrow down on and go, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian. The word that Jesus uses when he explains to his disciples and says, hey, I'm going away. I'm I'm not going to be around like I'm around now. And so the extraordinary like stuff that that we've been doing, I'm going away and you are going to have to learn what it is to follow me every day, every day with me being gone. And he uses the word abide. Do you see that there in the text, the word abide? Now, we actually spent an entire series um, on the word abide. What's interesting about it is John, the writer, uses the word abide 60 times in his writings. And in John's gospel alone, he uses it 36 times. 36 times. Now listen, um, the butter slides off my biscuit every day and I'm not a bright guy, all right? But I think if, if the Bible's using a word like that quite a bit, it's probably pretty important and it means something. So think about it. Jesus uses this word to describe what a relationship with him is like. 
in the ordinary day-to-day. And what the word means is the word abide literally means to, to dwell with and to dwell in. Okay? But follow me. Maybe this will help. Okay? Um, we have a routine in our family. So when the kids, you know, go to bed at night, we've got three kids, eight, six, and four. And so Courtney and I just have a moment together whenever the kids go down. And, and the routine is I like to go to bed early and wake up early because I think that's what saved people do. But anyway, that's a different sermon, okay? Um, my wife likes to stay up late and everything like that. So, but the time that we have together in order to connect is when she drinks her tea. So at night, Courtney always drinks green tea um, with lemon and honey. It's caffeine-free because she's healthy and just an all-around better human being than I am. And so um, that's the moment where we connect, sort of try to talk about the day, this, that, and the other. And sometimes, occasionally, I'll try to drink the tea as well. Um, But I do it wrong. And, And here's why. Courtney lets that bag just stay in the teacup, like the whole time. She puts it in, pours the hot water in and then just slowly drinks the tea. I'm a fidgeter, right? So I'm like bouncing the dude in and out, doing all that. Then when I try to drink it, the bag gets in my face and all this stuff. And so it's like my tea is never as strong as Courtney's is, and it's never that good because I don't let that bag just sit there in the water. And and listen, the longer the bag sits in that water, the stronger the tea is. Now, now, now follow me. There's a point to this madness, I promise, okay? Dwelling with Jesus is like that. The longer we dwell and remain in Jesus, the stronger our life will be. I think a lot of us do kind of what I do. It's the dip in, it's the dip out. I'm going to dip in my Bible I'm going to dip out. I'm going to dip into church. I'm going to dip out. I'm going to dip into prayer, and then I'm going to dip out. And what Jesus is saying is to his disciples on this journey where he's going away, this is the key, and this is the thesis, and this is the big idea today. That no matter what happens along the way, abide in Jesus every day. All right? So I don't know what's going to happen in your life. Um, there's going to be some great things that happen. And I also believe that suffering is going to enter into your world as well. And my great fear is, is that we're living for the extraordinary, for the, for the new job and for the sort of camp high experience. And oh man, and if I don't have that, then I can't. Well, what Jesus is saying is very simple. No matter what happens along the way, abide in me every day. Now, you should have a question. And the question is this. How? <laughs> How do I do that? That's great. A little tea illustration. Woo, took you all week to come up with that. That's great, Pastor. Um, like, how do I do that? Okay. And I believe that he tells us that in a main verse. Look in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I believe that that's the anchor there in the passage. So how do we abide in Jesus every day? Well, I'm going to use this. It's going to be like breathing. Somebody asked uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon one time, uh, Dear Mr. Spurgeon, what's more important, reading the Bible or praying? And Spurgeon responded with his great wit, What's more important to you, breathing in or breathing out? 
When Jesus says, if my words abide in you, we're understanding that as the Scriptures. When Jesus says, ask it in my name, we understand that to be prayer. So how do I abide in Jesus every day to stay close to Him along the way? I believe it's this. Breathing in the Word of God through the Scriptures and breathing out our words to God in prayer. Bible reading and prayer. So I want to end this in a very practical way today, okay? But I also want to do it in a certain way. So let's jump in. The first thing is this, breathing in the Word of God through the Scriptures. Jesus says, um, if my words abide in you. So I want you to think about the tea bag, right? Um, dwelling in, dwelling in the Word of God that way. But we see the effect of what the Word of God actually does, so there's a few things that I want to show you what the Word of God actually has an effect on your life. And listen, I've got a goal. I want to make this appealing. I want you to see the effect that the Word of God can have on your life and go, ooh, I want that. That looks great. But then I want to get underneath to the motivation. So what does the Word of God do? Well, the first thing Jesus tells us, look in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the Word I have spoken to you. Um, the Word of God cleanses me. The Word of God cleanses me. And what Jesus is referring to here is what we just learned in the kids' side, the washing of the feet. Jesus is saying that, that my Word has an effect like that, that it cleanses us. What's interesting is, I mean, when I look around today at social media, the news, politics, everything going on in the world, our mind and our heart need more cleansing now than I think ever in any period in history. And the Word of God does that. The Word of God cleanses our mind. You know what's interesting is, um, like I was just talking to some people about this this morning, our, our great-grandparents, more than likely um, your great-grandparents, learned to read by, by reading the Bible, right? The old King James. And there's been a ton of studies done that actually um, young children who learn to read and alongside learn to read the Bible actually have um, a higher IQ on average than kids that don't. Now, I think there's a neurological reason for that. I believe there's beautiful poetry. There's great language in the scriptures. But listen, I also believe that there's a supernatural reason for that as well. That the Word of God does something to our minds. That, that it cleanses, that it, that it does something. Jesus said the Word of God cleanses us. The second thing is this. Um, the Word of God creates fruit in me. Look at what he says there in verse 8. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to me my disciples. Um, question, real quick. How do you know if somebody's a disciple? There's fruit. Right? There's fruit. And here's what we think. We think that we create the fruit in our life. And what we do is we use rules, right? External rules. So, you know, it's the famous list that we always say here. Well, well, clearly you have fruit in your life. You don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do. I mean, that's fruit, right? And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. You don't do things to create fruit in your life. It is the very Word of God that does that. Listen, the Christian life is a supernatural life. 
Can we get back to that understanding that like you're not going to go to Huck's and get, you know, some supernatural fruit for your Christian life along with a big gulp, okay? That's not going to happen. That's a supernatural thing that takes place. And the Word of God does that. It cleanses us. It creates fruit in our life. And then how about this? The Word of God communicates God's love to me. Look at what he says there in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I mean, there are not enough words in the English language to describe the depth of theology that's in that verse. Let's just think about it for a moment. Um, The God that created the cosmos... The entire universe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before there was something, there was someone, there was God, and they lived in a perfect relationship together. And that love and that relationship spilled out onto the canvas of creation. And here's what Jesus is saying. That love that eternally existed between the Father and the Son, that God loves us that way. I mean, that is profound to think about. And what Jesus says is we find that out through his word. Um, Just recently, we had some family members who had a family member um, pass away, an extended family. And I was asking, um, hey, how's your mom doing? Uh, It was his dad that had passed away, and and they were married for 40-plus years. I said, hey, how's your mom doing? He said, "Um, you know, she's, she's doing okay. She's doing as good as she can. But I went over the other day, and what she was doing was is she was reading the old love letters that he sent her whenever he was deployed. I thought, man, what a, what a beautiful way to sort of grieve and remember the love of that relationship. That's what the Word of God is. That, that no matter how you're feeling or what's going on in your heart, in your mind, that listen, we say this all the time at Westside, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud, right? Because this is what communicates God's love to us. And then the next thing is this, the word of God compels me to obedience. Look at what he says there in verse 10. If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love. Now, we think obedience is like a dirty word, right? Wah, wah, obey, ah, right? But Jesus is saying, actually, when when you take in the word of God, that it compels you in obedience. And I think a lot of times we live in fear and shame in our Christian life, and and we don't know if, was that sin or was that not? uh, Oh, no, I did, you know, because we don't know what the commandments are. So, so, So just real quick. I think oftentimes as parents, we sort of create some unnecessary strife when it comes to our kids, and, and, and I do this, and so maybe you're better than me. But for example, if I say, hey, Roman, um, hey, Bubba, I need you to clean up your room. We're getting ready to go. Well, you know, I go back into the room, and somehow Roman found the Nerf gun that he had lost right, six months ago, and he was cleaning, and now he found it, and this is great, but there's still the shirts, and there's still the books, and there's still all that stuff, and then I say, bub, clean your room, and I leave, and I come back in, and there's still one shirt, and there's still, and so now I'm like, Roman, right, um, question, who's that on, Roman or me? Well, I didn't define what clean the room is. We're working off different standards here. 
So when I said clean your room, in my mind, I meant, hey, those shirts and that stuff and this, all that needs to be put away. When Romans heard clean the room, he was like, maybe just shove some stuff to the perimeter and that's going to be okay. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Oftentimes when we read the Bible and we hear commands or things like um, forsake that sin, we get a bit confused because we haven't read the rest. Listen, the communication on God's part, 100% clear, okay? God's batting a thousand on communicating what he wants to communicate to us. But for us, what compels us to obedience is the word of God. And then the next thing that I see is this. The word connects me to joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. What has he spoken? The words that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That it's the very words of God in the scriptures that connect me to joy. Listen, joy is not dependent upon our circumstances, upon our position, or upon our possessions. Joy is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And what connects us to that are the very words of God. Now, I know what you're saying, that you have a lot of questions. Um, one, for example, well, pastor, I try to read my Bible, and, it, and it's difficult to understand. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But one of the things that I'm growing um, increasingly impatient with is, you know, talking to some guys and they're like, ah, man, just don't ever really read the Bible. It's just difficult for me to understand. But they could tell me who pitched for the Cardinals in 1967 and how many or the reason why the carburetor and the gas intake on the flux capacitor is uh, that's I'm not OK. Right. Yes, it's difficult, but anything that's worth learning is going to take some time, right? So yes. Also, um, we have Bible reading plans. We're, we're reading through the Bible in a year as a church. We're doing all those things. Listen, yes, I do think those are factors for us getting into the Word of God. But I think there's something way underneath all of that that compels everything. And I think it's this, all right? So this is where the magic whiteboard comes in. I think a lot of us Maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's in the evening, when, whenever we sit down and we're going to approach the Bible, right? So maybe it's January and it's the new Bible reading plan and you're like, Genesis, this is great, right? Exodus, wow, that's incredible. And then later on you get to Leviticus or you get to the genealogies and you're like, ugh, I'm done with this, right? But I think there's something subliminal in our minds when we come to the scriptures. And here's what I mean. I'm learning a lot about... Um, the Bible uses the language, the spirit and the flesh, right? And it says that those fight each other all the time. And I think the flesh shows up for us as this inner sort of critical voice in our life that condemns us. I mean, we say this all the time. Nobody lies to you more than you do. That's the flesh. And so when we come to the scriptures, I think we have this in our minds. Jesus wants me to change. 
I gotta read the word today. Jesus wants me to change. I gotta pray today. Jesus wants me to change. I gotta do this. Jesus, I gotta go to church. I gotta serve. Jesus wants me to change. Now, here's, here's what's tricky about this. This is true. That's true. Jesus is all about transformation. But that's not the primary thing. And I believe that if you come to the Bible or praying or the Christian life with this understanding that Jesus wants me to change in the long run on this journey, you will feel that this entire thing depends on you and your effort. And what that turns into is moral performance held up to God, saying, I know you love me because look at what I did. Now, Jesus wants us to change, yes, but all we need to do is change some of these words. That's not the gospel. This is the gospel. That's the gospel. That Jesus wants to change me. Do you understand how that, like that's the switch that changes in our mind. That, that when the Bible's open, or that when I'm stepping out in faith, or when I'm having a conversation, or even when I'm just simply thinking about God, understanding this sentence that Jesus wants to change me is a game changer compared to Jesus wants me to change. So listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Read, this is the sentence. Reading the Bible is not primarily about what you're supposed to do for God. Reading the Bible is a reminder of what God has done for you in Christ. Listen, this is good news today. I want to alleviate the burdens that you have. Jesus says, all who are weary, come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so approaching the scriptures, yes, we can get to all the how-tos that we want to. And we can get you Bible reading plans and the YouVersion app. And then it'll read the Bible out loud to you. And all of these things. Yes, there's plenty of that stuff. But listen, if we don't understand this first, we're never going to last in the journey. And Jesus says, no matter what happens along the way, abide in me every day. And that my words would abide in you. So we breathe in the Word of God in Scripture. And then this, there's a result. It does something. We breathe out our words to God in prayer. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. I believe if, if you want your prayer life to be more intimate you got to have your Bible. I believe if you want your Bible reading to be more intimate, you got to have a prayer life. Jesus says there's, there's a result that happens in both of them. Now, what's, what's difficult is, is that, that prayer's not easy, right? Prayer's the thing that sort of in the, in the Christian life just kind of crawls off the table, if you will, in one of the disciplines. And isn't it interesting, when the disciples asked Jesus 
to learn how to do something. I would have probably asked for like the walk on water thing. That was pretty rad, okay, right? Lord, teach us to walk on water, right? Lord, teach us to make people go blind for a little bit until they do what we ask them. That's a good one, right? The Apostle Paul's like, you're blind for a long time, okay? They didn't ask any of that. They asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting, when Jesus cleanses the temple, do you know what he says? My house, my father's house, will be a house of, doesn't say singing, doesn't say preaching. My father's house is a house of, of prayer, of prayer. And then Jesus gives the disciples the Lord's prayer. So I think we have a great misunderstanding of actually what, what prayer is. And the reason why I think Jesus says that his words abiding in us are so important is because if we pray left to our own devices, what we will end up doing is not praying to the God that created us in his image and likeness, but we will pray to a God that we created in our own image and likeness. There, there are things that God has revealed about himself in his word. And Pastor Timothy Keller has a marvelous book called Prayer, and, and, and I would highly recommend it to you. But he says this in, in, in the book. We would never produce the full range of biblical prayer if we were initiating prayer according to our own needs and psychology. It can only be produced if we are responding in prayer according to who God is as revealed in the Scriptures. Some prayers in the Bible are like an intimate conversation with a friend. Others like an appeal to a great monarch. And others seem to be like a wrestling match. We must not decide how to pray based on what types of prayer are the most effective for producing the experiences and feelings we want. We must pray in response to who God is himself. Now listen, this goes back to the ordinary day to day. I think a lot of us, when we think about prayer life, the goal is intensity, okay? So um, I grew up, and my dad was uh, an evangelist and a pastor. And when he was an evangelist, we would travel around, and we would stay in people's homes, and we would have to eat whatever they put in front of us. And my mom would always say, right before dinner time or anything, whatever they put in front, they worked hard to provide this for us, they're housing us, and they put some of the grossest stuff in front of us. But we ate it. We ate it because we love Jesus, okay, right? So we ate it. But one of the things I remember is um, there were times where it seemed like the preacher's in town, let's pray because the preacher's in the room. And so there was always like the Deacon Bobs that I like to talk about. That was always like, oh God, right? Bro, we're just about to eat Cocoa Puffs. That's all we're about to do, right? There's no like, like who, who are you talking to, you know? Because I think that it's, we think, oh, it's the intensity of the prayer moment. It's, ooh, right? And actually when we look, Jesus isn't so concerned about the intensity of that. Here's the sentence. The goal of prayer is not intensity. The goal of prayer is consistency. Because consistency leads to greater intimacy. Think about that with a relationship with a husband and a wife. The consistent 
communication. That consistency is the doorway into intimacy. So how do we do something like that? Well, I think there's a few things and a few resources that you can get. Um, We've got some out there on the bookshelves. This is called a field guide for daily prayer. And one of the things that, that I've been doing in this past year in my life is something that the church historically has called sort of the daily offices. Because historically, the church would teach people to pray in the morning, in the midday, and in the evening. And now, now this isn't like three hour, oh my goodness, this, that, and the other. But what is it? It's, it's connection. It's consistency in that. And so, and so this has helpful prayers in there. It's got a prayer list in the back for all of those things. And I know what some people say. I don't need to read nothing that's got no prayers in it. I just pray myself to God. Well, that's great. You're awesome, okay? But when the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray, Jesus gives them words. And I don't believe there's any greater example of learning how to pray than children learning how to talk. Because mom and dad, what do you always say when, when they're at the stage where they point and grunt and uh, uh, right? So much power in that little finger, right? To go anywhere and do anything. What do you say? Uh-uh. Use your words. Use your words. And so I believe there's many tools that can help us do that. One of the things um, that, that's been a great help in my life is the thing that's called daily prayer. Um, and it's an app that you can get for free. This is what it looks like. Um, I, I, I like it. But I don't like it because it also has me attached to my phone, okay? So if I'm busy or if I'm out and about, one of the things that's great about it is, is that you can set notifications on your phone. And so, boom, it'll pop up a notification, time to pray. And listen, there's been times where I've ignored the notification and talk about conviction. You're like, oh my goodness, I just like muted that, right? I mean, and so what it does is you can set it, and this is what the notifications look like, 6 a.m., you can do midday, evening, and then late evening prayer. And what's really cool, what I, and listen, I'm just learning how to do this, okay? Um, for me in my life, prayer has, I like to read, I like to do things. I love to achieve and accomplish stuff. And here's one of the most interesting things that I've learned that God has been purging me of through prayer. Is simply being present with God. Just simply being present. And one of the things is in the late evening prayer, right before you go to bed, it's the last words that you say out loud. And then when you wake up, the first words that you say are back to God. Listen, no matter what happens along the way, abide in Jesus every day. We have to breathe in the word of God through scripture. And we do that because Jesus wants to change us. And that's the avenue for it. And then that results in something, in intimate conversations with God. Why did we do this series? And what was the whole point of all of this? I believe that that when COVID hit, one of the things that I heard from many, many people was, I realized that I needed a sustainable structure in my life. Because what this thing did is it threw everything out of balance. And I think it exposed some of the lack of intimacies that we have with our Lord and Savior. And so one of the things that I think that a disciple does is consistently following Jesus along the way. And so as the band comes up and leads us in a time of response, the image that I want you to have today is simply of the teabag, right? And you can just ask yourself, am I dipping in and am I dipping out? 
And I can almost guarantee that we would draw a direct line from that to the glass ceiling that we feel like that we have in our relationship with Jesus. But the goal, the goal is to steep. And listen, it's not fireworks. Like, I'm talking tomorrow at like 10.15. It's Monday. The phones are ringing. Everything's going. You know, you get the call from your husband or your wife. And, hey, after, can you do this? Up, oh, the internet went out. The hot water heater's broken. All the, oh, no, oh, no. Listen, I'm talking in that moment. I'm talking in those moments abiding in Jesus Christ. Because no matter what happens along the way, I think if we abide there, that's where we'll find the intimacy that we've been longing for. So, let's practice what we preach. Westside, stand to your feet and let us pray out loud the words that Jesus gave us to pray to God. Westside, lift your voices and let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Father, we come before you grateful. Grateful for the good news. The good news is, is that you want a relationship with us even more than we wanted ourselves. Jesus, that your love for us, that your grace for us is so much more than we could even comprehend. And God, I pray that it wouldn't just be duty that makes us do these things, but it would be delight. And God, I pray for those of us in this room that are, that are in this journey. We're learning for the first time what it is to, to read the Word, to pray, to do those things. And God, I pray that you would meet us in a very real way. God, I pray that we would actually believe that you want to change us more than even ourselves want to change. God, I believe that it can happen. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Compel us in this journey to abide in you, Jesus, every day. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.